From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, across the nation, and around the world, you are about to finally learn how to lose weight joyfully. It's time to get wasted with Renee. Live with Renee Steelman on TalkZone.com. Hi, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think you will be very pleased with today's show, and I'm excited that you're going to be with me. I'm going to have as my guest today a Dr. Ricky Heller, and we are going to be talking about Candida. I don't know if any of you have heard of that before, but it's a really interesting subject. I had not heard about it. Uh, my daughter, for some reason, knew all about it, which was perplexing for me. But it's really interesting and something that people suffer with um, quite a bit. And I didn't have I didn't have any knowledge of this, so it's going to be a very interesting discussion. I hope today that I am finding all of you positive, productive, and plant-based. I hope I am also finding all of you wearing red today because, as may, many of you may know, uh, February is Heart Month, and the American Heart Association would like all of us to wear red and to remember that heart disease is the number one killer of women. And we know that eating a whole food, plant-based diet is the number one way to prevent heart disease. So I am wearing red. I hope you are as well. I don't know what Dr. Heller is going to be wearing, and I'm not going to ask her because that would be an entirely different show, wouldn't it? <laughs> anyway, so thank you for joining me so much today. And let's see if Ricky's on the phone. I'm here, yes. Yay, fabulous. <laughs> it was a little bit of a crazy morning, but that's all right. Everything always works out. So thank you so much for joining me. It is so ironic, Dr. Heller. I, um, I heard about you. Oh, okay, Ricky. I'll just, uh, sure. that's great. Um, I heard about you from one of the co-founders of Get Wasted, Tess Chalice, introduced yeah. you to me. And um, one of my daughters is uh, also very interested in nutrition. And after I heard about your book and, and every, and I read a little bit more about um, some information that you have for all of the people out there in the world. I asked my daughter, you know, if she had ever heard of Candida and she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I have. I'm like, how come? How come you've heard about this and I have never heard about this? But that's just one of the many things we're going to be talking about today. Um, so anyway, so we set up this time to have this fabulous radio show today and then, um, I was online and I was checking out Victoria Moran's uh, Facebook page, and she had you on her radio station last week. She did, yes. We had a lovely conversation. Yeah, it was great. I loved listening to it. And uh, and then I noticed, and then yesterday, uh, you and Carmela were just twittering away. And uh, so it was like, this is like, you know, they say three things, you know, like it's everything happens in threes, and it's like, there you go. <laughs> So, so tell me how, um, tell me, I know that a lot of your research and a lot of your studying came from your own health issues. So, so tell the, tell the listeners about that. Yes, I'm definitely someone who became interested, even initially interested in learning more about nutrition because of my own health issues. And I think that's very, very common. People have a problem and conventional or allopathic medicine just can't seem to solve it for them. So it, as in my case, I went from doctor to doctor to doctor and no one really knew what was wrong with me. In fact, 
they kept telling me that there was nothing wrong with me. And, and mm-hmm. I knew I had these symptoms. I knew I wasn't feeling well. So um, ultimately, I mean, I did get very, very sick. I had a series of sinus infections that really sort of brought things to a head. And at that point, I finally did find a holistically-minded MD who diagnosed me with candida. And so really from there, it was a long journey. I, I, I've been through candida twice now, through the protocol. And um, as a result of that, initially, I went to the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition to study nutrition. Now, I will say I don't practice with clients per se. I mean, my research has really been in the area of food and teaching cooking classes and this book and, and how to live well on an anti-candida diet. And my colleague, Andrea Nakayama, who wrote the sort of science-based chapter of our book, uh, she's really the one who treats people directly for this kind of condition. So she has nutritionists on staff and she has clients and so on. Whereas my area of expertise is more, I, I call myself a candida coach. <laughs> so uh-huh. I, I deal more with the practical realities because Anybody can give you the diet and say this is what you need to do, but the reality is day-to-day, meal-by-meal, when you're trying to follow this diet, that's where the difficulties occur for people, and so that's what I can help with. Right, and I'm glad that you said that because I think sometimes – um, you know, even switching to a, just a plant-based diet, um, is, is, is often, um, you know, you'll hear people talk about it or you'll see something on television or one of the, you know, I don't know, somebody will talk about how, oh yeah, I've got, you know, Bill Clinton just lost, uh, you know, 45 pounds. He just went plant-based and they make it sound like it's an easy thing to do. And, you know, there are, a lot of people that struggle with allergies and different conditions that, you know, switching to a plant-based diet might not be as easy as it is for other people. And um, so, and, and but that's interesting what you said about um, uh, the sinus was kind of the thing that drove you the most. So it wasn't, I mean, I know in your, in your bio, you talked a lot about a kind of a gut issues as well. Mm-hmm. So t- tell me the timeline then. Yeah, I think people don't realize that it, all these problems do begin in the gut. Pretty much everything begins in the gut because yeah. I, I recently learned this this year that, you know, 70% of your immune system resides in your gut, in your intestinal tract, and we don't realize that. So all of the, what's going on in there, there's a little, uh, you know, sort of microbiome or a microcosm of all kinds of germs and bacteria and fungi and even parasites and cells and you are living with 10 times as many organisms as you have cells in that gut. <laughs> so you re- and, it, and normally it's this very harmonious little world where they all live together, but when something becomes out of balance, that's when you end up with problems like IBS, which was my first sign way back when I was in my late 20s. I was diagnosed with IBS, but nobody connected that to candida overgrowth or anything wrong, really. They, they said that IBS was... They didn't know what it was. It was There was nothing organically wrong with my intestines, which was great. I was thrilled about that. Yet I still had all these symptoms, but they had no idea why or what to do about them. So it does begin in the gut. And then for me, that went on for years. I was on a medication called, oh, my gosh, it's been so long, Colace, which was... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was on Colace every day for like 16 years. And, you know, I just thought I'd go along the rest of my life this way. And, and no one ever suggested that I should change my diet at that point. And then from there, I began to have more and more and more symptoms because what I believe was actually happening was, you know, my, I probably had leaky gut, I had this IBS, oh and things gosh. just got worse and worse. And then at, after a certain point, the candida has grown to such an extent that 
things are so out of balance internally that you begin to have these sort of satellite symptoms, and it does move to other systems in the body. So for me, one of the things was sinus infections, and um, it's been shown recently that up to 93% of sinus infections are actually fungal in origin and not bacterial, as we tend to think. So I was given antibiotics after antibiotics every time I had a sinus infection, when oh in fact, my gosh. Yeah, it's probably the worst thing if it's truly a fungal origin, right? Because right. when you wipe out the good bacteria that way, you allow the candida to grow even worse. So it took a long time for me to realize that this was all connected. And um, I remember being so sick with my, you know, it, it was over the course of a winter where I had about four sinus infections. In, yeah, it was four sinus infections in three months, and I was given six courses of antibiotics. And by the fourth one, I mean, I spiked about 104 fever, and I remember my husband had to take off work to bring me to the doctor because I couldn't drive. I was too sick. And when we got home, I was so weak, I couldn't go up the stairs to the bedroom. He had to help me up and help me get into bed. I mean, it was awful. And so when I finally met this holistically-minded doctor, and she said, oh, I think you have candida, and she did a bunch of tests, uh, I was just, I was so relieved. I, I At that point... You know, I, I say say this, uh, I've said this before, you know, I would have eaten, if she had said to me, you have to eat wet newspaper for a year and then you'll be yeah. better, I'd say, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? But I do oh my other gosh. too. I mean, there are many other symptoms. And I had, as I like to say, I've had, if, if there's a symptom of candida that's possible for you to get, I've had it. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. Uh, you know, I am absolutely... Just listening to you tell that story, I I am just devastated because I have a friend who is going through uh, very much exactly what you went through. Only you know she's not getting the relief that you you know were finally able to get. Um, so I want to tell you her story when we come back. We're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about. Um, this is really, I mean, this can be life-threatening, and I know that sounds crazy, but when I tell you my friend's story, you'll understand. So let's take a break, and then we'll come back with Ricky Heller. Confusion ever someone or have sudden you trouble had speaking, understanding? Understanding trouble? Have you sudden have or speaking someone ever confused? Welcome back. You're listening to Get Wasted with Renee on Talk Zone. Here's Renee Steelman. Hi, thanks for joining me. Thanks for coming back from our little break. Today I have as my guest Dr. Ricky Heller, and we are talking about candida. And I know, oh, Dr. Heller, I know you've heard this a gazillion times, but you know, you cannot help but sing the Tony Orlando song in your head when you start talking about this, you know? And it's just kind of candida, we can't make, and you know, it's not, it's not definitely not the same thing, but when I first heard people, you know, when I first heard about this, I thought, Surely that can't be the same. That can't be the right spelling because I knew the Tony Orlando song. But anyway, on a little bit of a lighter note. But what, when we left, I was just about to tell you about this friend of mine who has had such serious sinus problems um, that she has been on antibiotics so many times that she has actually no natural antibiotics her immune system is gone and so now she's having to do antibiotic infusion she other people's 
you know, immunities or have, she has to put that in her own body on a weekly basis. And she's had surgeries to the extent that, um, that, you know, there, there was almost a, a, you know, because you're working, you know, you're up in her sinuses. She's very near the brain. And, um, the last surgery that she had was, was, you know, there's a little bit of a nick and she was in the hospital for quite a long time. And, you know, it, it's so frustrating. And no one, no one has mentioned anything about her foods or, or how she could take care of this naturally. Wow. That, that does sound scary. And I, I don't want to frighten the audience because sinus infections are not the most common, but they are certainly uh-huh. can be connected. But I would say have your friend ask her doctor to check for fungus. I mean, they can test. That. Oh my gosh. That really, I certainly that will. I hope I'm going to put this on, you know, I always, I always post the, the radio show on my Facebook page and she's a, a, a very devout listener. So I will, I will definitely tell her to listen to, to today's show. But, um, uh, Ricky, you know, a lot of the talk about the diet itself because it isn't easy. Um, but like you say, when you are sick, um, you are willing to do anything to feel better. Most people are willing to do, you know, at first I think it's, they're hoping, they're so hoping that it's something as simple as a little pill. Um, but as you mentioned, it's not always that easy and sometimes those little pills do more harm. So talk about the diet and how it works. Sure. And I mean, because my diet beforehand was truly a very unhealthy diet. I ate a lot of junk food. I ate a lot of sweets. I ate a lot of processed food. So, you know, I think for most of us, this kind of switch is actually much, much healthier in general, but it can be a huge shift for people and can can be difficult. So in general, what you're looking for is sort of a two-pronged approach. You're looking to remove any foods that could feed the candida. And because candida is a form of yeast, if you think about, you know, baking bread with yeast, you need to give yeast sugar for it to grow. So sugar is its favorite food. So you're going to cut out anything that contains sugar or can easily be converted to sugar. So that means sugar itself, white sugar, refined sugar, and and any high glycemic sweeteners like maple syrup, honey, agave. At the beginning, all sweeteners are out except for stevia and xylitol, which are both a zero on the glycemic index. So I don't know if people are familiar with those. Stevia is an herbal sweetener and xylitol is a natural sweetener that's derived from birch bark usually. Mm. So no sweeteners, no fruits. Uh, you're not allowed any moldy foods or foods that can trigger mold response. So things like mushrooms, uh, peanuts and pistachios are the two nuts that are highest in mold. And mm. even, well, as I said, no fruit, but even later things like cantaloupe and many citrus fruits are very high in mold on the peel. So we're mm. not allowed those ultimately. And then no alcohol, very easily converted to sugar, as well as no processed foods and no refined foods. So ah. basically what you're eating are things that will help to kill the candida or that will not feed it. And you're also trying to remove any highly allergenic foods just because you're trying to give your immune system a break so that it can help, it can work on the candida. So the top eight allergens are also removed. Things like, well, if you eat eggs, they're out. But, um, you know, so I do a plant-based diet, so obviously no meat or fish, but someone who eats that normally would have to remove that. No gluten um, and, as I said, all moldy foods. So I think I've covered everything. But the foods you can eat, there's still a huge number of foods that you can eat. So you can eat all vegetables with the exception of mushrooms. You can eat nuts, seeds, most legumes, and gluten-free grains. And then things like Bragg's aminos, which are naturally fermented. So 
there's a bit of a controversy around fermented foods, but mm-hmm. most candida diets will say no, nothing fermented because fermentation feeds on sugar. However, mm-hmm. if foods are lacto-fermented, which means they're naturally fermented by the bacteria really in the air or, or on the veggies, things like naturally traditionally made sauerkraut or even dill pickles, like kosher dill, the kind of things that must be refrigerated even before you open the jar. Mm. Um, so, so things like kimchi, which is a naturally fermented um, Korean spicy sauerkraut, those all have a, a huge number of natural probiotics in them, which are the things you're trying to get back into the body. Like your friend, it sounds like she's had her natural um, probiotics wiped out because the antibiotics will kill the good and the bad bacteria. So mm-hmm. the things like fermented foods will replace those probiotics in the gut as well. So I'm very big on sauerkraut. I eat sauerkraut once or twice every single day or kimchi or one of those things. And um, that's something that you can also have. Wow. that And I'm glad you did that because sometimes I think when you start listing all of the foods that you can't eat, people are like, I- I'm just going to eat water. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, people just get so discouraged because they're, yeah. they're thinking, wow, I mean, that list, you know, no, no fruits, no peanuts, right. no pistachios, no process, no refined. And, you know, they, they're just like, I don't even know what's left. But like you say, really, when you think about it, all vegetables and then legumes and grains, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge salad. That's a, that's a yeah. warm dish that, you know, it's just a matter of the spices and stuff. And it's, uh, it really follows a plant-based diet pretty easily, um, except for the fruit part. Yeah. And, you know, I made a point in in my book. There are 100 recipes in the book, and they're all different courses. So there are things in there, and and especially because I I have such a sweet tooth and Uh I consider myself a sugar addict, I wanted to be sure because one of the signs of candida is intense sugar cravings. So I wanted to really be sure that people don't miss their desserts and that they can Place those with healthful desserts that will help them move away from the sugar. So I've got, you know, um, brownies and ice cream and fudge and pudding, all my favorite desserts and the sort of classics, but they're created in a way that you're using the ingredients you're permitted on the anti-candida diet. And same with soups, main courses, you know, all those other things. Because I think it's really imperative that people have alternatives. And if the food tastes great and you'd be willing to serve it to other people, and that's mm-hmm. going to help you immeasurably on this diet because you won't feel like you have to eat something different from the rest of the family and you're not spending your whole day in the kitchen cooking two separate menus. Right. So, so that was a really important part of this uh, book for me. That is, you're absolutely right. And I think that's where a lot of people, again, get discouraged because, you know, when, when you decide that you're going to not eat processed food and not eat refined food, well, guess what? That means you're going to be cooking. I mean, you, that means you're going to be preparing food. And if you have to prepare three different meals for everyone, you know, yours, your husband's and your children's or whatever, it's, you're going to, you're not going to keep it up. It's just, it's, you're just not going to happen. And so, you know, preparing food that everyone can eat, is the trick. It's definitely the the only way that I think people can continue to do this for long term. Now, now you talked about one of the things when you were talking about foods that you have to eliminate from your diet, you said at first. So mm-hmm. tell me what the progression is. Well, I think each person is different. That's the first thing I want to say. But this is not okay. a two-week diet for anyone. Right. And I think okay. that, that's what the people really need to understand. It can take years for this overgrowth to occur and for it to get to the point that you notice the symptoms. So by the time you have all the symptoms, this has been around potentially for years. 
So most people will require at least a couple of months on this diet, and that would be for a mild case of candida oh. I was what I call myself a hard case. I really was, my naturopath said, one of the worst cases he had ever seen. So it took me on a strict diet, and I was using um, herbal supplements, herbal antifungals, as well as prescription antifungals and the diet. for. Uh, it took about three months before we even started to see the slightest bit of improvement and six months before I was starting to, where I would have said I really felt better. So I was on the diet for a total of two years, fairly strictly, but... You know, even for me, after about three to six months, I did start to reintroduce some of the foods I had removed. So that's what happens. I, I think of it as a three-stage process where in the second stage, you can start to re- return some of the whole foods, so things like some of the fruits, the low-glycemic fruits. And in the third stage, I, ret- I brought back refined flours, but only uh, gluten-free flours. Mm-hmm. And I did bring back some of the lower-glycemic sweeteners like coconut sugar or coconut nectar, which are delicious alternatives and natural sweeteners. And so, you you know, at this point, I've been doing this now in some form or another. I consider myself on a maintenance for life. You know, mm. I can have those things. I can even have things like um, if I go out to a restaurant now, I don't worry about the vinegar on the salad dressing, for instance. Whereas oh. at the beginning, I would have asked, you know, just for oil and lemon because you can't have white vinegar at the beginning stages. But once you're feeling better, you can. You can bring those things back. So so I don't want people to think you have to eat that very restricted diet forever. And right. really the way you determine is by your own symptoms. So as you're feeling better and as, you know, we have an assessment in the book, but there are uh, free assessments online all over the place as well where you can determine the level of seriousness. And so as you feel better and you, and you re- return to that assessment, as your score improves, you can decide at which point you want to try to reintroduce some foods. And if you don't have a reaction, if your symptoms don't get worse, then you can keep those foods in your diet and you're just fine. Um, so, But I would say very few people can really go back to eating the full-on standard American diet with you know, McDonald's or whatever. I, I don't even right. know, know what's out there anymore. But you know, I don't eat processed foods. I will never again eat white sugar. I will never again eat white wheat flour. Wow. Yeah. That's a... Now, people that have um, a lot of food allergies, now even if they're not suffering with candida, um, this is a really good diet for them because I, I mean, I didn't even realize um, because I have a stomach of steel, and honestly, the I mean, the only thing that I am intolerant of uh, dairy and eggs, and I didn't even know about eggs because I don't really like eggs, so eggs were not a big part of my diet. Um, but when my naturopath did an allergy test. Um, dairy and eggs were the only two that came back. And um, I already knew about dairy. I mean, again, you know your own body. It wasn't anything serious. You know, I just little gastric, you know, if I ate any dairy. But it wasn't severe enough to make me stop. Um, But what I found was... um, when after having no dairy in my diet for a long time, if I accidentally get some dairy, I have a huge reaction. And I wondered if you had experienced that or other people had experienced that when you, if you are intolerant of something and you eliminate it from your diet, then your body is kind of uh, like, oh, phew, that's so nice. We don't have to deal with that anymore. And then when you reintroduce it, the body's like, alarm, alarm, you know. Um, is that, do you yeah. find that? Absolutely. I think that's exactly what's happening. I mean, I don't know the scientific explanation, but I kind of liken it to, I remember when I was a teenager, you know, so many of us take up smoking. And when your body is very clean, the first few times you take a cigarette, you're hacking and coughing, 
But as you continue to introduce this foreign substance into your body, eventually you have no reaction at all because your body just adapts. And I think it's a very similar process in reverse. As you clean up the body and there are fewer toxins, it's actually your body is much more reactive to returning these negative foods or these negative substances because it's saying, hey, you know, I'm healing. I don't want this anymore. I, I can't put up with this anymore. So I, I think that's exactly what happens. And, and I've heard from many, many people that they've had the, the same reaction as you, that the longer they eat a clean diet and they begin to detox, the less they're able to tolerate these foods that are that are really not good for them. Wow. I love that analogy. That is an excellent analogy because you're absolutely right. That is okay. So when people have other allergies, like, um, again, see, I, I'm so, I, you know, because I pretty much could eat anything, when I hear people say, well, I can't have anything that has, um, uh, the seed, you know, like, um, a peach or, you know, any of the fruits that have the, the hard seed, I was like, really? I've never heard of that before. And then go, going along with that, they also couldn't have almonds. Is that, is that, Correct. Most people. I believe they're they're in the same family. The pits are the same family as almonds, and yeah, from right. What I, from what I understand, so what happens is because the molecular structure, or they're some, they're from the same family of foods. Your immune system is reacting similarly to them, and that's why you can't have things like nutritional yeast when you're in the early stages of the diet. Diet, not because nutritional yeast feeds candida, because it's a dead yeast. It doesn't do anything but because your body sees the molecular structure of the nutritional yeast and it says, oh, yeast, candida is a yeast, I'm going to attack this the same way I attack candida. And so it's almost like an allergic reaction. It, it's an alarm to anything that even ba- vaguely resembles candida. So that's why we take out all of those foods because there could be that kind of allergic reaction to them. Wow. that not that interesting that our bodies are such an amazing a machine that you know breaking things down into molecular structures um and then and then you have to you have to look at that seeing what the body will do and then look at the refined foods and the processed foods and realizing that the body's trying to break down that molecular structure and it's going I don't know what this is I don't, right. I don't know what to do with this. I don't this, know what to do you know? with this. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to attack it. I'm just going to get all inflamed and icky because I have no idea what this is. I don't recognize it as anything. And ta-da. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. So talk about a little bit about um, – because the, your, the, the book Candida. Now, is that your most recent book? Yes. Yes. Living Candida Free. That just came out in January of 2015. Um, okay. So yeah, that that's the, the one that just came out, and this is the one that contains the protocol. So there there is a whole protocol with the diet and the yes and no foods. And as I said, my colleague Andrea Nakayama, she wrote the first chapter, which talks about the physiology of candida and how it occurs in the body. But then the rest of the book, apart from the hundred recipes, there are five chapters devoted to how to live with candida in the real world. So what do you do when you go to a restaurant? And as I said, one of the major symptoms is really overwhelming sugar cravings. So we have a whole section on what to do about cravings, different strategies for dealing with cravings. There's a section about traveling because, you know, a lot of people are working and they have to travel for work. And then how are they going to stay on this diet when they're traveling? So it's really, I wanted it to be a practical guidebook for people who are on this diet. Yes, that is, that that I I actually have so much compassion for people that travel um, because, you know, at first at first you think, oh, how romantic you get to stay in a hotel and, you know, 
eat in restaurants and, and, uh, most hotels have a fabulous little exercise room and, uh, you know, what a romantic life that would be to be mm-hmm. able to travel. And then when you actually do start traveling and you realize that you're stuck in an air, you know, stuck in an airport, uh, by the time you get to the hotel, restaurants are closed. The only thing that you have, you know, open is the little, side store next to the receptionist desk that has candy bars and, you know, popcorn. And it's hard. It is hard. And I'm glad you had that included. Well, I'll never forget one of the first, because I I haven't been, I don't travel a lot, but in recent years I've started traveling much more. So near the beginning um, of of the process, my husband and I went to New York for a fun getaway weekend. And we had to be at the airport at about six in the morning. So that we got up very early because between Canada and the U.S., it's considered international, so you have to be there two hours early. So really uh-huh. early wake-up time, and I didn't have time to make breakfast, and I thought, oh, I'll grab something at the airport. And we got there about 6, and, of course, at the cafeteria in the airport, it was all processed food, and the only real food they had at breakfast time was a fruit bowl. And even though I was later on in the diet, it was filled with fruit I couldn't have, like melons and grapes and things. So I thought for the three blueberries in that bowl, just spending, you know, like $10 or something, I thought, okay, I'll wait till we get to New York. It's only an hour and a half. But, of course, New York is New York, and it took us several hours to get downtown from the airport. And, and so to make a long story short, by the time we got to a restaurant, it was about 6.30 p.m., and I hadn't eaten in 12 hours. And I said, I am never doing that again. So I never leave my house without, even if I'm just going to the grocery store, I have a handful of almonds or something in my car to sustain me should I have a delay and I need to eat something safe, right? Cause yeah. I, and I think that's what you've got to do. You've really got to be prepared for anything and always have something with you. Yeah, you really do. You really have to, you know, look at your life as as if you were a diabetic or whatever, and you have to be prepared and carry your own food. I found the same thing, exactly the same thing. My husband and I were traveling. We got to the airport. There was nothing but, you know, weird prepackaged sandwiches with, you know, mysterious things inside. And I thought the same thing. And by the time we got to the hotel, uh, my husband was checking in and I went into the little restaurant and I'm looking at the menu and I'm not even dealing with candida. You know, I'm just dealing with living a plant-based life. And I'm looking at this menu and I'm like, okay, it's $30 for spring mix. I'm doing it, you know, and so so they they bring over and I'll hold the feta, you know, and they bring over this plate of of weeds, basically, you know, with I don't know, maybe it had some balsamic vinegar on it. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is thirty dollars, but I am so hungry. I've got and I thought the same thing. I've got to start packing, you know, my own pre-made snack stuff, uh, you know, and even airplane food. I mean, come on, you it's that's not going to happen anymore. So. Yeah, and it's not that hard. There, you know, you have your, you sort of have your key recipes that you rely on. I have three or four things that I bring each time that are easy and quick, and that are are transportable because you want something obviously that doesn't have to be refrigerated. And once you have those down and you know those recipes, it's really easy to bring them with you. And I always ask for a fridge in the room if it's possible, and then I'll, then I can go to the local Whole Foods or whatever and buy some stuff while I'm there. But even if not, you know, you want to be sure to bring some things with you. Right, exactly. Now, as you mentioned, you are up there in that very, very uh, foreign, faraway land of Canada, um, and so, uh, and you are in the um, eastern, right? You're you're just above. Yeah. Where are you? You're up in uh, Ontario. 
Yes, that's right. Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, Toronto. Okay. Oh, Toronto. beautiful, beautiful part. Oh, my husband and I went to Toronto and oh, what a Now, and you have um aren't the sidewalks heated in the city? Not that I'm aware of. Not that you were Okay, I don't know where I heard that, but I thought wonderful idea. But are you freezing? <laughs> are you just snowed in right now? We actually didn't get the worst of it. So we had I think we have a total of maybe like a foot of snow over the last few weeks. It's oh, okay. you know the roads are pretty clear already. They've they've cleared the roads. It's, it it looks pretty nice outside today. It's sunny. Things are melting, so it's not too bad actually. Oh, that's 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 fabulous. Well, you definitely live in a beautiful part of the world, that's for sure. We're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back with um, Ricky Heller and talk more about how to get your body up and running, get healthy, get rid of some icky bugs if you have them, and just all around good stuff. So let's take a break. Now it's time to get healthy and lose weight joyfully. You're listening to Get Wasted with Renee on Talk Zone. Here's Renee Steelman. Hi, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. It's February, and I don't know how many of you know, but I mentioned at the beginning of the program that February is Heart Month. And it's the time that the Heart Association takes to make people aware that heart health uh, is so important, that heart disease is the number one killer um, in America and for women. And I think women are surprised. They think maybe breast cancer or, you know, other things, but heart disease is the number one killer. And Ricky, don't you find that, um, the great thing about eating a, a plant-based diet and, and avoiding processed foods is that you're not just curing, you know, candida. You're not just curing a food allergy. It cures the whole body. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely true. There's so many positive effects of eating plant-based. And because for so many people our diet is is so negative, the, the standard or the average diet of North Americans, Canada, you know, Canadians too, that it, it can make so many positive changes in your health. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you see what – what is your um... – do you see a difference between the Canadians and when you pop across the border into America? Do you see anything that is like, wow, I, I didn't realize, blah, fill in the blank? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, from reading statistics, I do know that the obesity rates in the U.S. are slightly higher um, than they are here in Canada, but not by much. So I think part of the reason for that is, we are a little bit behind in terms of processed food. So I'll, uh, I'll see, because I have cable TV, everybody, you know, in, in the cities has U.S. cable TV. So we get all the same television stations and we'll see commercials for new foods. And I remember when I was a kid, I'd say to my mom, oh, could we have that, whatever processed food it was? And it wasn't available yet in Canada. So we're usually, uh, there's a lag time of maybe two to five years. And I believe that's because in Canada, everything has to be bilingual on our label, French uh, and English. So even though the vast majority of us do not speak French, but in any case, so because that's a bit of an issue for the, the producers, sometimes it, there's a lag time, and some, some companies decide not to do that because it's too expensive for them to print double labels. So we won't get those foods right away. So I think that, that may even be part of it, is that initially we didn't have as much processed food, and I'm, this is purely a guess 
on my part, but I have noticed that there's a slight difference in terms of, you know, we lag behind you guys and, and in terms of positive things, but also negative things like poor health. So it's right. not, our statistics aren't quite as bad as they are in the U.S. Now, and what about your um, your health system up there? Um, do you is is Canada does Canada follow some of the European countries as far as not allowing um, some of the processed foods in because of GMOs or other chemicals, nitrates, and things like that? Do they follow that model? No, no, they okay. do not. I mean, there are okay. some things that are allowed. You know, again, it's very similar to the U.S. And it's interesting to me that there are certain things like. Um, you know, in terms of like over-the-counter uh, drugs, some are, that are allowed here are not allowed in the U.S. Some things that are prescription here are not prescription in the U.S. and vice versa. So mm-hmm. I, from what I know, which is not a vast amount about this particular topic, but from what I've just observed, I don't see a major difference. It just seems to be, in certain cases, it, it's one way in the U.S. and a different way in Canada, and in other cases, it's the opposite. But we do, as you probably know, we do have socialized medicine in Canada. So our system is a little bit different from yours, and um, that that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other hour. I'm wondering, though, with socialized medicine, um, is there more of an effort to keep people healthy because it is more of a financial strain on the government? Um, so, you know, they're, they're more proactive in that way? Well, I mean, there are um, public initiatives all the time to try to, to um, encourage people to be healthy. I'm not sure how successful they are. I mean, we have rates of cancer, rates of heart disease, all those things very, very close to the U.S. And I would guess that, you know, any westernized country is going to be in the same ballpark. That's Because because our lifestyles, we also don't exercise enough. We also eat too much junk food. All of those things are very, very similar. Right. I know when my – go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say very high rates of diabetes increasing as well. All of those same kinds of issues. It's definitely a, a, a cultural thing as well. I know when my daughter and her husband moved to Texas, and I, we went down to visit them, and I was actually just a little bit blown away by the amount of obesity in that little little city that they were living in, um, especially children. I was really shocked at the amount of obese children in that little. Uh, segment of society and it's you know definitely cultural definitely access to different foods and things like that um but it's a little bit scary it's just a little bit scary and you know i'm sure you've heard the statistic before but we are well i guess uh, our kids age would be the first generation that is not destined to outlive their parents and i was just talking with a good friend of mine the other day and she has a son who's 16 and he's suffering from back problems and all these kind of chronic degenerative things that you would really imagine would happen to someone much older. But the kind of food we eat, which as you said earlier, it's, it doesn't contain any real nutrition for the body. So it's actually encouraging inflammation and encouraging this kind of degeneration and these kind of chronic conditions. And so I could see how that could very well end up being the case where the, pe- the next generation behind us may not live as long as we do unless they do something to change their diet and lifestyle. Right. Yeah, it's I I just heard on the news the other day they were talking about lung cancer and they were saying that they're now finding that diet actually can make a big difference in lung cancer and and so it kind of goes back to what we were saying about how, you know, the body is is a whole and you can't 
uh, I, 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 even as a, a young adult, I remember when I would see commercials for Doan's pills and they were talking about take this pill for your back, not knowing, you know, anything about, you know, uh, science or, or anything like that. I remember thinking, I don't think you can just address your back. I mean, when you put something in your mouth, I think it's pretty much going to go everywhere. Yes. And, you know, um, and so it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting. Like you were saying, if 70% of the immune system is in your gut, then it's going to affect lung cancer and heart disease and everything. Yeah, absolutely everything. So, uh, we, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was, I think we underestimate the impact of the pills and the medications we take in terms of side effects. People, don't realize that if it's going to be, you know, lowering your blood pressure or whatever it's going to be doing, that is stopping certain natural functions in the body and it has to have an impact elsewhere in the body because it's affecting your organs, it's affecting your organ function. So that's going to have repercussions down the line in terms of everything else that that organ would normally deal with. So we have to realize that anytime you put a pill in your mouth, anything, an Advil, um, an you know, an aspirin, a decongestant, an allergy pill, anything. In fact, I just read this morning that people who take um, um, not decongestants but allergy pills, uh, mm-hmm. I've lost the anyway pills for to prevent themselves their allergies from from you know manifesting. Oh right, like a Claritin or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. They are much more likely to suffer dementia in in later life. And I'm sure that has something to do with the ultimate side effect of this drug. So we underestimate how much of those little things affect everything else in our life. At the same time, I think we also underestimate how much the food we eat can have a beneficial effect. And even things like mental state. I've just been reading a book called Mind Over Medicine by Dr. Lisa Rankin, which is fascinating. And and she talks about how simply managing stress, which who do you know that doesn't have any stress these days, right? Mm -hmm. So simply mm-hmm. managing our stress, that actually changes the brain chemistry, which then mm-hmm. changes the body chemistry, which then changes the immune function. So if you can mitigate stress effectively, you're actually increasing the ability of your immune system to cure whatever's wrong with you. And to me, that makes perfect sense because yeah. everything is connected. Yeah. Yeah. When you hear people that have, you know, died of a broken heart and, you know, many studies have shown that a lot of time, you know, people that have been married for, you know, 60 years and one spouse will die and within weeks the other spouse dies because they're lonely and and they literally die of a broken heart. And you think if something like that can happen, obviously stress and all of the other things that, you know, we are bombarded with in our life affects our health in one way or another. And um, I, I, I remember hearing someone say, until we stop eating for ta- – this is an older lady. She was like 80 years old, and she was still teaching yoga. And her comment was something about, we've got to stop eating for taste and start eating for nutrition. And I thought, I don't know if that would be a good sales pitch, but in a way, I kind of believe it. You know, but things do have to taste good, but we have to stop you know, talking about, well, I don't want to eat that because it's not creamy and it's not oily and it's not comfort food and, and start looking at our bodies as machines that need to be fed if it's going to run properly. Well, and, I would actually say eat for both. You can have both. Yeah, well, you can have both. Delicious. I mean, a healthful food tastes delicious. Why wouldn't yeah. you want to eat that food? 
Right, right. And it really is, it really is the answer. I know I, I stopped off yesterday. I was, you know, pretty much in the car the whole day and I stopped off and got a wrap and I'm eating this wrap. And I, when I got to my daughter's, I said, you know, I can really see why people who try to go plant based and then they'll pull over to the side and they'll get something like this and then they eat it and then they think, yuck, I am never going to be able to eat this because it was literally a whole wheat wrap and it had lettuce and it had kale and it had corn and it had chickpeas. But that, and they were like the fresh, there were no spices. There was nothing to blend all of those foods together. So it was blah and tasteless. And I remember thinking, that was sad. And if someone was trying so hard and they had no idea how to cook or how to prepare, you know, plant-based foods and they thought, this is what I have to eat the rest of my life is chickpeas wrapped up in kale, you oh, know. Unfortunate. Yeah, that's unfortunate because each of those things can taste delicious if prepared properly. Oh, my properly. gosh, and yes. Together, I'm sure that would be a fabulous wrap if you knew how to combine those ingredients. Yeah, ex- oh, it would be. It would just a few more spices than it would have been a hit. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us how we can get your book. It's available at bookstores everywhere across the country, both our countries, and it's also online at all the, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, Books a Million in Canada, as well as Amazon. It's on uh, chaptersindigo.ca. And so you can get it online, you can get it in bookstores. It's pretty much anywhere books are sold. And oh, it's that's living candida free. Living Candida Free, love it. And is there a website or a blog that you would like to have people visit? Oh, I'd love it because I have, oh, there are over 700 Candida-friendly recipes on my personal blog as well that they can, you know, get a little taste of delicious and healthful um, plant-based food. So that's just at rickyheller.com. Ricky is spelled R-I-C-K-I, Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R.com. And there's a recipe index up at the top. And, you know, all the different categories of food, you can find them there as well. And you can find me under my name on basically every form of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. I'm everywhere. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You are at one end of the world and I'm at the other. But through modern technology, we were together today and I'm so glad. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Heller. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was so interesting. And you know, one of the things that, that, um, that Ricky mentioned was, you know, that there are, there are so many diseases, there's so many conditions. You know, people have allergies and they, they might just have, um, colitis or irritable bowel syndrome or maybe a gluten intolerance. You know, they have something going on. And a lot of times just doing a diet that, that, um, Ricky was talking about, even if candida is not an issue for you, I'm sure that following her living candida-free diet would get you on the right path to where you could again start reintroducing other foods and finding out exactly where your body is at. Everyone is an individual. And that's one of the problems with um, taking a pill is that, you know, we're so different and and, you know, they talk about autism. They talk about how autism is a spectrum. People are on the spectrum. And there's not one person that you could list and say, oh, if you have this problem, if you have autism, then you have A, B, C, and D. 
everyone is different. And that's true with every disease and every condition that's out there. That yes, you might have heart disease, but you also might have irritable bowel syndrome. You also might have, um, you know, food allergies or something, you know, and so taking a medicine for one thing might inflame something else that's going on in your body. And, you know, on that note, I wanted to read a quote to you from Dr. Um, uh, Colin Campbell's book, his newest book, Whole. There's a paragraph in there where he said, um, the whole food plant-based diet deals with so many diseases and conditions that you begin to wonder if there isn't just one basic disease cause, poor nutrition, that manifests through thousands of different symptoms. Rather than focus on the underlying cause, Western medicine has decided to focus on the individual symptoms and call each of them a disease. And admittedly, it's good business to identify thousands of different diseases, then make and sell treatments for each of them, rather than to look at the big picture and prescribe one simple intervention that helps them all. But it's not good medicine. And isn't that true? You know, telling people to eat a whole food plant-based diet... Just as I mentioned, I'd heard on the news yesterday, you know, could it affect lung disease? Does it affect heart disease? Does it affect breast cancer? Does it affect irritable bowel syndrome? All of these medical issues that modern medicine has decided to tag and make an individual disease can be cured, put off, you know, restrained, whatever, with eating a whole food plant-based diet. And I hope that you'll give it a try. If you'd like to transition and if you'd like some recipes to help you, please get on my website, www.nwgetwasted.com. Get Wasted is W-A-I-S-T-E-D. You can also get on the main website, which is simply www.getwasted.com. You will find recipes on there. You can join for 30 days for free and try it out. And as as Ricky mentioned, you know, fix the recipes that are there for the whole family. If someone in your family is still a meat eater, then they, you know, can prepare a chicken breast or some kind of meat or you can prepare that for them. But include the fabulous legumes and the grains that you will find on your weekly menu. I encourage all of you to treat your bodies as a whole and remember that good nutrition will solve a lot of problems. Thank you so much for joining me today. And you know what? Let's have lunch. Thanks. Bye-bye. 